till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back. Horse stock is attached. Head is mad at black. Got the boosters black to match. Riding on a horse. In a brand new week of coverage, folks, gets underway on this Monday evening, July 26, 2021. Wrapping up the month of July to kick off this week, folks, alongside our good man, Sammy Sharp, yours truly, Cal McClure, joining you folks here from the home studios in San Diego. My apologies if I look to be very far away on screen, though, but I have a little furry friend sitting in my lap for today's program. He wanted to be up here and be a part of the show. But Sam, as always, my good man, good to see you, good to hear you, man. How are we doing tonight? I'm doing good, Cal. How you doing, uh, my man? Uh, we're doing great. We uh, thank you for asking. Again, folks, as a reminder, uh, plenty of great uh, great stuff coming up this week. And once again, folks, to uh, reiterate once more, but what, but again, coming up, folks, on Friday, a network doubleheader of shows. As mentioned, the uh, NBA uh, draft special coming up on Thursday, 5.15 p.m., followed up, of course, by the one-year anniversary special of Wild Sports Talk coming your way as well here on the MI6 Sports Network, but of course, everyone, we want to hear from you throughout uh, throughout the course of our show tonight. So again, fire away, folks, with your questions, your comments, or your concerns throughout the show. And again, we'll do our absolute best to read your commentary live on the air here as our program does, in fact, go on throughout the course of this Monday night. With that, though, Sam, still following the very big news in college athletics, as we have already talked about, Sam, last week on here, but Oklahoma and Texas, per reports gathered by ESPN College, uh, college Insiders, have announced their plans to not renew their media rights with the uh, Big 12 Conference and will uh, and now is officially setting up their move to the SEC Conference. But again, uh, they have to wait a couple of more years. It looks to be, though, that they can opt out, though. There is, though, some reports, though, as well, though, folks, that they could, in fact, opt out uh, within the next couple of years before that lease or that agreement is, in fact, broken. But again, Sam, you know, we talked about this in, you know, I'd say some pretty good detail, though, on Thursday, again, a lot of moving parts, a lot of confusing parts, I think, though, too, for college uh, for college athletics fans who are maybe are concerned about what this might mean, though, not just for football, but other sports, though, maybe what it means, though, for, these, for some of the smaller conferences, though, too. But, uh, Sam, more so overall stance right here, and I think, though, that probably that you would agree, though, the first, I think, major step forward with OU and Texas saying thanks but no thanks to the Big 12 and hello to the SEC. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... A uh, move like this is going to impact all the college sports. And my biggest reaction to this move is that it's the beginning of the end for the Big 12. Uh, that conference, I don't see them lasting much longer if they don't if, you know, they don't bring in four to six schools to replace that revenue. And even then, I don't even see that conference being this, ever being the same uh, without Oklahoma. Because Oklahoma has been there since the beginning. And Texas, you know, was helping popularize the conference. So, you know, I, I think it's the beginning of the end for the Big 12. And it's ushering a new era of college football, of uh, this name, image, likeness. Uh, it's like now that amateurism is taken away, it's uh, college sports now is a whole new animal. Uh, and this right here is, I think, the beginning of what's going to be a large realignment for college sports. 
And certainly, I think football will be the one that that I hope benefits because, as I think you folks know, I'm kind of skeptical about this move, though, and still rightfully am, though, I, I would say. Uh, because, you know, I I think, Sam, the thing here that I, that I want to say, and again, I probably, you know, have I, I may have been ignorant towards anyone's thoughts on Thursday uh, just because, again, I'm not really involved with college football. But again, this may, uh, again, have some ramifications towards other sports, though, but certainly, Sam, my only concern, though, about this is that I hope, though, this is not a situation where even though that, you know, NILs are a thing now and they can, you know, there's endorsements, stuff like that, though. But obviously that we may, in fact, get a great product, though, of college football, you know, and that maybe that there may be parity because of the games or the uh, schools becoming a bit more even with, you know, what they can offer and can offer what they do offer, though. But, Sam, I hope that this is not like a two year, four year thing. And then someone like Oklahoma or Texas or, you know, though I doubt it. But I think the last thing you want to see, though, Sam, is someone who made a move to a conference not be happy with that move, though I doubt it. But again, it could happen that we're probably someone out there, you know, like a USC, maybe even a Texas or an Oklahoma or schools out there that do, in fact, make a move, though, kind of get like or have regrets. And then they end up pulling out and trying to go back to another conference with Sam. I mean, I think that's doubtful, though, but Sam, would there perhaps, though, maybe in your mind, be some type of like, I wouldn't say concern, but more so of like what would happen, though, if in fact it's someone that does move a conference, tries to move back to a conference that is uh, no longer around, if in fact that they fold that conference in the next couple of years? Uh, I think, you know, the possibility is strong because, you know, uh, one example of that is the teams that used to be in the Big East. But the right. thing is, is, I don't see if a team makes a step like this forward in the scary, this is what's scary. No team or athletic director is going to want to take a step back for the better of the school. So, or the better of the fans. Because right. with the old Big East, once the West Virginia left and broke up the backyard brawl with Pitt, Pitt left with the ACC, Syracuse left for the ACC, and the rest of the conference, you know, was left scrambling. And basically dissolved in football and basketball, the Big East has never been the same. So, and you right. look at both of those, Syracuse and uh, Pitt, Pitt has never been the pro same program since they left the Big East. That school has fallen in basketball and football. They've fallen major levels. I mean, this is a team that we once talked about as a consistent top 25 team and as a team that was always in the March Madness brackets, uh, possibly as a two seed. Uh, usually flying around there is one of the at-large bids. But now they, they'd be lucky to get into the bracket uh, with the roster that they put up and with how they're struggling in the uh, ACC now. So in, I don't think that in the in their aspect, taking those two schools, for example, I don't think I don't see them going back to a, like a Big East-type conference. I don't see it just because of how much money they're making uh, hosting Clemson, hosting Florida State. Uh, whenever it's bas college basketball, they're getting Duke, Syracuse. I mean, they're getting all the big headline names in the ACC uh, still coming to Pitt. Uh, so I don't see that, you know, and especially in uh, Texas's case, where on a bad week you're playing Kentucky, which is still a pretty well-known school. I mean, it's top 30 in college revenue, uh, football revenue. And it's – I don't see them leaving that conference just in, no matter how bad that football team is because realistically, I think Texas as a football school will be struggling with a four or five win team uh, their first couple of years getting used to the SEC schedules the because uh, how grueling it will be. But, you know, I don't think I don't see them leaving and backing out and taking a step back for the better of the school. 
Sam, I think that the concerns that I have, which again is is very minimal, but again, though, it's more so I think like like uh, what this move may mean, though, for some of these mid-major conferences like the WCC or the the Big West Conference or the Mountain West even, or some of these, you know, fringe or kind of, you know, unknown or not looked upon as being strong conferences, you know, Conference USA, the AAC even, uh, the West Coast Conference in basketball or just in general. But Sam, though, maybe uh, again, because, you know, you are in fact our college football expert, but more so a move like this, though, by two universities that, again, may look like it's football, you know, obviously driven by football. But Sam, though, what kind of cosmic shift, though, could this move have, though, on maybe some of the smaller mid-major conferences that are, in fact, out there across D1 athletics in your mind? Well, if they have a good, very good uh, revenue team, you know, like Boise State in football or Gonzaga in basketball, uh, they better start finding ways to protect those teams or getting them clauses that they can't get out of because the Pac-12, there was going to be, there is going to be power conferences scrambling to make up for the money. Uh, it's very unfortunate because I think that what will happen is that we're going to see a lot of conference realignment once Texas and OU change. And the team, the conferences we're talking about, West Coast Conference, might not be around in a month or two months from now, just because how much moving we're probably going to see. Because, you know, once a, a conference realignment sometimes is like a domino effect. Big time. Because, you know, if Gonzaga pulls out the West Coast Conference, what's keeping BYU and St. Mary's into that conference now? Because the, Gonzaga is the biggest team in that conference, and BYU, I feel like, could get a pretty decent bid to go to the big 12 instead uh, because of their football, their football relevance and their basketball relevance. So in, even the PAC 12 could go after uh, BYU because of like the same things I just said, their football relevance and their basketball relevance. And then, you know, St. Mary's, they're a very prevalent basketball school. They could easily go to the big PAC 12 if the PAC 12 wanted to uh, put a big bid in for them. So I don't know, you know, I don't know how, it, you know, if that con if there's going to be a lot more conferences standing after this, if there's going to be a lot more conference, um, you know, dissolving, like the, we saw with the WAC uh, a handful of years ago. Right. Whenever they lost their football conference and the Big East, like I've already mentioned. And there might be some new conferences that we don't even know yet that are taking place uh, below our eyes, you know. Uh, and we might see a big uh, Mountain West expansion with St. Mary's and the schools that we've been talking about. You know, there's might be other mid-major conferences that are looking to expand to make up for their potentially lost teams. And Sam, not just that, I wanted to kind of add on, though, about you bringing up Gonzaga men's basketball. I think it was maybe, I want to say, fairly recently, I want to say like within, the, like within the last three to five years, I think, uh, there was rumors swirling around, though, that the Mountain West actually – approached both BYU and Gonzaga to make a basketball-only move to move their men's basketball programs into the Mountain West Conference. But, of course, Gonzaga and BYU basically pulled out because they said, no, we basically have control over the uh, conference's uh, television schedule, which is true, though, because Gonzaga and BYU kind of rule the roost for TV deals. But, Sam, I think, though, that even with television and all this going on, though, I mean, I, I, I think, especially now, though, I think you're right, though, Sam, that if, for example, if the Pac-12 or the Mountain West approached BYU and even Gonzaga, I mean, I think they would probably, you know, take the bottom of the apple and jump ship, I think, if you were to ask me about that. Yeah, if, or if one of them already left. 
if like Gonzaga left because the Pac-12 offered him a lucrative offer, I think the other one, the other t- top teams in the uh, WCC would be incentivized to jump ship because of you know that's like that was the that's the big money maker right there. Gonzaga's the big uh, talking point in the uh, WCC. And, and not just that, I mean, just thinking about that now as well, Sam. Zaga in the Pac-12, Zaga, Washington State, Washington playing each other in maybe a uh, maybe in a divisional alignment. Who the heck knows? Wanted to shout out our good man James Gonzalez tuning in as usual. James, thank you for being here. Now, Sam, uh, John Tyler, a fellow uh, Southern California public address voice, actually shared this graphic on Facebook today, which I actually shared to our group chat today. This could be, Sam, the potential roadmap maybe for this new, uh, this newly done, or these four essentially four mega football conferences with the Big Ten, the SEC, the Pac-16 maybe, and the ACC, all uh, all them adding in or all them going to 16 teams. A quick rundown here for those on the podcast for the Big Ten, uh, Nebraska, Kansas, and Iowa State, and Iowa would make up this Western division with Illinois, Purdue, Northeastern, or Northwestern, I should say, and Indiana in the South division with Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Michigan State in the North and the East would be Ohio State, Penn State, Maryland, and Rutgers. Again, that's adding in KU and Iowa State into the Big Ten. With the SEC adding in OU in Texas, the West Division could be OU, A&M, LSU, Texas, uh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Mizzou in the North, with South Carolina, Tennessee, Vandy, and Kentucky in the East, with Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, and Florida in the South. The Pac-12, maybe Pac-16, UCLA, USC, Stanford, and Cal in the West with Oregon State, Oregon, uh, Washington State, and Washington in the North, Utah, Arizona, Colorado, and ASU in the South. And then from the Big 12 in the East coming in would be Texas Tech, Baylor, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State. Then the ACC adding in West Virginia. And yes, adding in Notre Dame full-time would include Louisville, Virginia, Vontech, and Notre Dame in the West, Pitt, West Virginia, um, NC State and Boston College, excuse me, Syracuse in the North, not, not NC State, my apologies. In the South, it'd be Clemson, Florida State, Georgia Tech, and Miami. Then out East, UNC, Duke, NC State, and Wake Forest. So Sam, this graphic, I think, helps explain like these moves perhaps uh, a bit better. This also, I believe, basically shows us that the Big 12 is all but gone under this model. So Sam, starting in the Big 10, though, with the Jayhawks and Cyclones joining, what is your stance on the Big Ten adding in KU and Iowa State? Well, these would be purely based off of the basketball uh, terms. I think Iowa State would bring in interest because they would bring in the rivalry with uh, Iowa and Big uh, Nebraska. But Kansas would be a 100% basketball move. Uh, it would make the conference really deep in basketball. Uh, through a basketball I agree. This would probably be the best team. Uh, best conference, uh, maybe outside the ACC with averaging in uh, really uh, West Virginia. But I, I think that would add depth. I just, I just don't know, though. We have to see how the Big 12 reacts to this before we start saying that the Big 12 is fully out because the Big 12 might add in four teams. They could, uh, yeah. With the SEC, SEC looks like it's how it's projected to be. Uh, the Pac-12 adding in some uh, Texas schools. It's weird seeing uh, teams in Texas and Oklahoma State get considered the East Division. That that that'll blow my head, you know, blow my mind uh, looking at that. But at the ACC adding in West Virginia, um, 
I'll be. I hope that they do that. I I'd like to see West Virginia and Pitt back in the same uh, conference and bring back the backyard brawl uh, on an annual basis, and then have Pitt play um, Penn State on an annual basis, which would be it'd be tough for them as football wise, but it'd be really fun uh, to watch as a fan. Sam, we have a comment from James Gonzalez. He says that the Pac-12 should add both San Diego State and Boise State, if in fact that both schools elect to move out of the Mountain West Conference. But again, the Pac-12, I think, or at least the Pac-12 being the biggest conference out here, I'd say, among all of the Western-based conferences, that may be possible. But something to me, though, Sam, about SDSU, going to the Pac-12 just still doesn't seem to, like, not really feel like, though, but... I, I feel like though that USC and UCLA would still say no to adding in a third Southern California school to the conference. Yeah, I don't know how they would feel about that. Uh, Texas originally and Texas saying them, uh, Texas especially was very against Houston uh, whenever they were talking about Big Twelve expansion. Up until uh, the last year, they were talking about expansion. They were ex- um, Texas did not want to have another Texas Big Twelve team in the conference. So, you know, especially with USC, USC and UCLA, having a third power team uh, right in their backyard. Um, I'm pretty sure, isn't Fresno Northern California? Fresno's in the Central Valley, but they are in the Mountain West. Yeah. So I, I can Fresno is not a horrible uh, football school. Football-wise, they're, I'd say, a middle of the pack group. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing them uh, move into the Pac-12 personally with Boise State. Uh to uh, kick them off, or even add a Colorado State, who who has been a consistently, you know, on and off program, uh, football wise, and it would rival with Colorado. I mean, the only reason why I think that I mean, I think Boise's a foregone conclusion of getting out of the Mountain West because you know Isaiah and I talked about this. I want to say late last year that um, uh, Brian Haskin, who was the head coach at Boise before he took a job somewhere else, though, was actually uh, emailing. Uh, Boise State higher ups to say, can we please get out of this conference and move on to a different, you know, move out of it because of how the football program, program program has been, though. I do think, though, that the only reason why I think that San Diego State may move in, Sam, is because their men's soccer program is the is the only sport, I believe, uh, that's sponsored by the school that does not play in the Mountain West because the Mountain West does not sponsor men's soccer. They already play in the Pac-12 conference as in. But I think that they, with the new stadium coming in may help. But I still think that USC and UCLA would say no, though. Do I? Though I do believe that that men's basketball could be a very nice boost, though, for the Pac-12 conference. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, San Diego State. Uh, in my opinion, out of all the Mountain West uh, conference schools right now, has the best and most consistent uh, basketball program uh, out there. And, and Sam, I do think that with this graphic on screen again, folks, uh, this is a potential look of uh, what these uh, four what uh, four quote-unquote mega conferences could look like, though, the Big Ten, SEC, Pac-12, ACC, uh, perhaps mainly for college football, but perhaps with everything else going on as well. Sam, at least with the graphic on screen, though, at least there's almost a effort to kind of keep some of the, you know, uh, rivalries close. Again, you know, Michigan and Michigan State in the Big Ten. Uh, obviously, uh, Ohio State is not in the same uh, division on the on this graphic as is Michigan, but again, uh, them, OU, Texas, uh, uh, Georgia, Alabama, Alabama, Auburn, Alabama, Florida, Florida, Georgia, stuff like that. Obviously, in the Pac-12, UCLA, USC, Cal and Stanford, Oregon, Oregon State, uh, UW and Washington State, Arizona, Arizona State, 
Uh, and then obviously in the ACC, Duke, North Carolina. Uh, but Sam, you know, it looks great though to see it visually though. But again, will it actually pan out though? Is like, is more like it's right now. I would, I'd say right now it's basically wait and see right now. I agree with you. Uh, right now we don't know what team is going to be where uh, next week even because of, you know, this te Texas OU just came out today where it's official. They're not going to renew their lease with uh, the Big 12. And that doesn't mean that they will not get out of their lease uh, before 2025. All they have to do is pay a fine. Those two schools make more than enough to be able to pay a little fine and make it up later down the road. And the thing is, is even with these realignments, I'm looking at these teams. I'm looking at these conferences, man. On a week-to-week -week basis, the top three games are still probably going to be in the SEC when it comes to conference play. Uh, they're, I they're agree. Still gonna eat the, uh, they're still going to eat all that TV money. So I, I just think with the OU Texas, even if they do all this, uh, the Pac-12 and the ACC and the Big Ten, if they get enough schools to agree on this type of format, I still don't think that there's going to be enough money to go. There's going to be enough food to go around. Uh, with all four of these and the big uh, SEC, they're going to get more than their share. Also, Sam, before we move on here, is this essentially the beginning of the end more so for something? I mean, I doubt it, but maybe uh, is it perhaps the beginning of the end, though, of this becoming where you basically play your schedule or for a schedule that you just mainly play your conference and you probably don't play any non-conference games out of your conference because of how many schools are now in these mega conferences with 16 teams apiece. Uh, I think the, I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll move to nine games, uh, nine to 10 conference games uh, and still have that 12 regular games because of conference, because of schools like Florida, Florida state. Um, and we're getting matchups right now. Ohio state and Texas have a future uh, matchup, a home and home series against each other. There's a lot of home and home series against big schools that a lot of schools are not going to want to drop. And uh, they're going to want to keep Florida State, Florida, as, uh, as I said before, uh, Pitt, Penn State. Uh, it might not be a huge uh, national-wide rivalry. Right. But it's uh, Pennsylvania. That is the right. Western PA, that is the rivalry uh, out here. So, you know, there, there's still going to be rivalries, out-of-conference rivalries that a lot of people are going to want, and fans-wise, and are still going to bring in a lot of revenue for those schools. So I doubt that they're going to do only conference just for those reasons. And again, I think you would hate to see like USC, Notre Dame conclude their rivalry, Stanford, Notre Dame, uh, you know, SC and Texas. No, they haven't played each other in a while. But again, some of those like, you know, games you remember so many times uh, uh, with that. But again, folks, that's a uh, kind of a look right now about what perhaps could happen if, in fact, uh, some of the uh, conferences do, in fact, uh, juggle themselves as time has, in fact, progressed here again, folks, Oklahoma and also Texas, both again citing their plans to perhaps eventually duck out of the big out of the Big Twelve and again target a move to the SEC. Again, this is all in wake of both OU and Texas announcing their plans to not renew their media contracts with the Big Twelve, setting up a potential move to the SEC sometime within the next, I'd say, either uh, pretty soon or pretty close to it at this rate and at this point in time. Uh, let me get this graphic off screen first here. Uh, certainly, though, Sam, some uh, viewer commentary, though, about this move here, about the uh, what we about what we just had on screen. Uh, first and foremost, our good man, um, Isaiah, first writes in to say that ESPN got a great deal on that SEC on ESPN deal. For one thing, I think it's like a 20-year deal, though, to have all the SEC games, I believe, on ESPN. 
and their family of networks, both on TV and also on streaming platforms. And Angel Berrigan Jr. chimes in to say, fellas, I really hate this. I miss the old Pac-12 format of playing two or three out of conference and then playing every team at least once. And again, it will definitely take some time to uh, to uh, recalculate. But certainly, though, Sam, I think that uh, even though that it's obviously kind of the ball's rolling downhill, though, it's going to be a, still a while, I think, before this thing actually does, in fact, uh, you know, come to fruition and actually get started. Yeah, it's going to be another three or four years uh, whenever it does officially happen. So, but whenever it does happen and whenever these do become official, uh, that ball is going to roll and it's going to roll fast. Things are going to happen. And things are going to happen fast and furious. And like, I, like I've said before, uh, college football as we know it is never going to be the same after this. Uh, name, image, and likeness. Um, it's something that we wanted, but it's now going to be something that's going to hurt the college sport, college football specific, more specifically in the long run. And even college basketball because there's going to be a lot, you know, it, it's, a, it's like a trickle effect when it comes to this kind of stuff. Even college football is the biggest uh, college sport out there. That's where most colleges make their the big haul of their money, and then it's college basketball, men's basketball, right after that. So it's going, you know, it's going to be a trickle effect with uh, that uh, name, image, likeness, and how it's going to affect college sports. And big time, and uh, again, hopefully for the better. And also, Isaiah says, fellas, does anyone out there know if Notre Dame has a contractual obligation to be in the ACC if they do, in fact, decide to join a conference? I've been hearing this. I believe, Sam, they do, because I believe minus football, the ACC is their conference for all the rest of their sports that are not, uh, that are, that aren't, that is not football. Yeah, uh, ACC is their conference. The only reason why they're not in the conference of football is because of the type of deal, TV deal that they have with NBC. And if they were to go to a conference, they don't want to have to give that con- that money up or they give it to anyone. In fact, they want to keep all that money. Yeah, and I, I don't know if we're going to be seeing um, independent programs, I think, last much longer either, Sally. And also Angel says the NCAA is making the Big 12 look like the WB. Finally, they're getting back and they lose both Texas and Oklahoma. And again, we'll keep on that story, folks. But again, OU and Texas both announcing their plans to drop their media contracts with ESPN or at least their media contracts, I should say, with the uh, the Big 12 Conference, I should say, and again, are perhaps going to be on their way out, though, for the SEC in the next few years. With that, Sam, some baseball news. Again, the trade deadline is coming up on Friday, and, and, the, uh, and of course, Sam, your Pirates have been a little bit active at the deadline, or at least so far to kick off the deadline, I should say. They first deal away Adam Frazier to San Diego on Sunday night, and also today they deal Clay Holmes to the Yankees today in exchange for prospects, both in the Padre deal and in the Yankee deal. Uh, certainly, Sam, you know, um, the Padres, I believe what I heard today on local radio was that they were aiming at Joey Gallo. They still probably are, though. But obviously, uh, the, the asking price from what A.J. Peller said, though, was a little bit too high among his uh, his demands, I guess. And they obviously had a, a suitor with the Pirates, though. And they, of course, they, they get Adam Frazier. In return, though, the Padres are sending three prospects, plus also their number five prospect in uh, utility guy, uh, Tucapita Marcano. So certainly, Sam... Uh, the parts kind of begin the trade deadline series, uh, the uh, trading season, Sam. But again, also it's uh, once more Adam Frazier to the Padres and Clay Holmes heading to Pittsburgh. Uh, Sam, any thoughts about the Pirates kind of beginning to uh, sell off the franchise right now at this point in time? Uh, it's something that uh, all Pirates fans uh, were waiting to happen. Uh, we knew this day was going to come where uh, what's his fa- Adam Frazier is going to be traded away. And it was I was listening to Pittsburgh radio about a week ago, and they thought you know. The only place that would might get him was uh, the White Sox, and we knew it, we knew eventually that Adam Frazier would be traded. 
but we just didn't know who and if we were going to get a good deal. Because the only thing I was really worried about with the Adam Frazier um, sweepstakes was that if Pittsburgh was going to panic and then trade him off for something cheap instead of the team panicking and trying to throw in more than what they originally did. Uh, but I'm glad the type of hole that they got back. Uh, we had a really good draft. Uh, Clay Holmes also traded for some prospects. It's going to add a lot more depth in our uh, prospect group. Uh, I, I guess I'm going to be uh, excited to see the Pirates in about four or five years whenever we get to see how these guys <laughs> pan out and uh, play. Uh, you know, and Sam, and obviously I, I believe today uh, Adam Frazier had his introductory press conference via Zoom today uh, before he comes out to San Diego to help the Padres out. Uh, and not just for this year, but beyond the next couple of years. And certainly, Sam, you know, and, and I think, though, that Adam Frazier, Sam, he handled the trade with class. Because, again, like you said, though, you mean we, you knew it was going to happen. It was a matter of when and where. And, you know, Adam uh, Frazier, the media today, though, said it right, though, that the Padres, in his mind, are by far the most exciting team in baseball right now. And, again, he was, you know, very thankful to the Pirates organization today in his, uh, in his uh, departing press conference. But, again, though, obviously excited, though, to help out with this Padre ball club. And certainly, Sam, though, now, though, members, uh, there's a lot more, I'd say, speculation about the Padres again, because, you know, Sam, as you know, you being a baseball fan, that now it's almost like A.J. Preller is going to do something else again. And it's almost like and it's like you're just waiting now to kind of hear like a tweet or get a notification that, you know, the Padres made a trade, though. And certainly I do think, though, Sam, though this may sound preposterous, but now I kind of feel like though, that Eric Hosmer, though I've loved the guy to death, though, when he was in KC and even when he's come here, though. He might be next in line, though. Though it may sound, you know, ludicrous, like wow, they're going to deal away a big, you know, a big contract. That luxury tax, though, Sam, might be a little bit of an anchor now for the Padres. But also, I think if you move away Hosmer, you can have Frazier slide into play second base. You have Jake, uh, you have Cronenworth who can play first. And obviously, you have Machado and Tatis Jr. But of course, the Padres are still looking for a starting pitcher. They're looking for a reliever of some type, maybe two, you know, one or two, you know, maybe not aces. You know, there's been some rumblings of of Scherzer. Uh, I believe within the last hour, telling that uh, saying that he won't in fact waive his no trade clause. So certainly, Sam, uh, on the outside looking in, though, uh, what are you probably thinking right now as a outside baseball fan and seeing AJ Preller and the Padres doing you know this trade deadline you know sweepstakes again for the second straight season? Well, I think they're smart. Uh, this is a team that I, I believe that if you're going to go for a championship, you got to go all in, put all your chips in. On the table, and that's right now. I feel like what the Padres are doing, especially with paying the luxury tax right now. So you know, whenever an owner has to take money out of his pocket, uh, you know he he's already not happy about that, but he's going for a championship. Um, that's something you know. That's something that they cannot get away from. They have to keep on pushing and pushing until they feel like, all right, we're better than the Giants. We feel like we have a little bit better. We're better than the uh, Dodgers. You know, we you know we have to be in that position where we're comfortable with the team and we're comfortable that we can beat these teams uh, in a seven-game series come playoff time or even a, a one-game series because uh, the wild card is only one game. Uh, if you have a bat, if you have a pitcher that's played his worst game in his career in that one game, uh, you guys are going home. You know, it, it's very unfortunate, but that's how it is right now in baseball. But you know, most definitely. One thing, and I was really impressed with, and I really wish other GMs would take notes, is that, you know, is how aggressive the Padres uh, GM has been. Uh, well, me, Callan, me and you talked, I said this in the group chat, last, I don't even remember, you know, the Padres being good 
Uh, it's been a very long time since they were consistently good. 98, I was born that year, uh, you know, whenever they last made the World Series. 98. Yeah. So, you know, they've been the laughing stock almost, my, actually, my entire lifetime because they've only made the playoffs twice. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Pirates have made the playoffs more than that. Uh, I could be wrong, though. But, you know, it's it's something that they're being aggressive in. And I think that this will have a lot, this opens up their window of a championship at least two, three years, and however long Tatis can keep this up. Because, uh, you know, in baseball, it's not one man sport. Uh, look at Anaheim or the Angels. You know, it's, you know, you have to have a whole team around it. And right now, right now, Padres look like one of the most complete teams, maybe contending with the Giants in the NL West right now. Yeah, most definitely. Again, the Dodgers can't count them out, though. Again, defending champs, NL West for the past, you know, nine seasons or some, you know, long stretch of the imagination. Again, world champs last year in 2020. Uh, some thoughts here. Uh, James uh, with the best one. He says, fellas, I feel so bad for the Pirate fans. Once their team has an all-star, that player is traded. No stability whatsoever. And Sam, sadly, man, I kind of feel like it's been that way with Pittsburgh even when they were in the playoffs, though, you know, when they had the, you know, great game against the Reds, though, with, you know, Martin and McCutcheon and those guys. And, like, literally the next year, uh, Sam, that whole team got blown up. Well, the very next year was uh, we ran into Joe Musgrove in the playoffs. And it was probably our best team. Because uh, I, I think that team won 94, 95 games that year, actually. And come to think of it, uh, the St. Louis Cards were the team in our division, unfortunately, and won 100 games. So, yeah, we've just ran into Joe Musgrove and what type of playoff pitcher he is. And the team was never able to get back to that success with Clint Hurdle. And after two, three years of spending a whole bunch of money on trying and not being successful enough. Another thing was screwed us was the Gregory Polanco contract. Uh, We we overpaid for him, and he didn't turn out to be the player that we thought he was going to be. So that kind of screwed us over. Uh, had he turned into that player, we probably would still have Marte uh, and the team, the crew still here and probably still winning around not 80, 70 games in that region. But unfortunately, it didn't work out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Angel also says Adam Frazier, now a Padre, did not see it coming. Plus, the Padres did not lose much either. Again, they lose three prospects, including their uh, number fifth ranked prospect and Tucapita Marcano, who played sparsely over the course of a year again, just because of injury health at this rate. And also, Angel says he believes that Eric Hosmer will stay with the Padres. He feels that Will Myers could be that odd man out. Angel, I would respectfully disagree, though, because I think that Will Myers, um, he's been here so long, and also that Hosmer's contract is more than what Myers is right now for the season. But also that there's been a huge outcry, though, because of the, basically because of Hosmer's lack of production. I know that Myers is guilty of that, too, though, but Hosmer... This has been a very consistent trend, Sally uh, Angel, for the past four or five, you know, years of his contract with Hosmer. He just cannot find a way to get himself out of, you know, hit himself out of a paper bag right now. I mean, he's trying to change his stance. He's doing this. They've dropped him down on the order. But his lack of production plus the contract is what I believe will actually ship him out of town more than Will Myers. And also that they may, in fact, begin to platoon Myers uh, in Hosmer because of Adam Frazier's durability to play a lot of positions at this rate. And also... James says that other GMs in baseball are saying to themselves when they are approached by A.J. Peller, please don't get fleeced, don't get fleeced. Also, Angel says the Giants currently remind him of the 96 Padres. Would be worried if, I, if I'm L.A. or San Diego. 
Now, Angel, the only thing here, though, about the 96 Padres is that they were hanging around all season and they didn't win the division title till the final weekend of the year in Dodgers. They had to sweep the Dodgers. So if I'm the Giants, I would think, can I hold on to this lead, though? Because we've seen, though, Angel, two seasons in a row, though, with Gabe Kapler in Philadelphia and last year with the Giants, he could not hold the lead. They, they, had, they would have a lead in the standings, though, but as July came, August came, the ball club began to falter. So I, I don't know if I would make that comparison because the Padres were kind of a team like they are right now, kind of hanging around, hanging around, though. They were close, and then it came down to when the games mattered the most. That three-game uh, three series in L.A. that they had to sweep to win the division title, and they did so. So I don't know if it's a very fair comparison. Not trying to knock you for the take, though, but uh, the Giants, I think, though, they're playing great still. But eventually, are they going to break down? I think that's the key, though. I, think, I know they're also very aggressive right now, uh, aggressive with pitching right now, but we'll see. I mean, I do like Gosman and DeSclafani and how they're how a lot of these guys have stepped up to the plate and helped out, though. But the 96 Padres, though, I mean, that's a, that's a frantic finish, though, for them to win the division title, so who knows? And also, Angel says, don't forget about Chris Archer in Pittsburgh as well. Also, James says, like the old, uh, like the old pop song goes, where have all the Pirates gone? And also the network says that Richard Rodriguez might be the next guy being dealt by the Pirates. And also, if I have any thoughts about the Nats selling after their embarrassing series versus Baltimore over the weekend, Scherzer apparently is going to waive his no-trade clause, and the top two suitors apparently are San Diego and the Dodgers. So it's simple as that. But definitely make or break time right there for the uh, for the Nats. But again, folks, the uh Hearts have kind of begun waving the white flag, not the Jolly Roger, but the white flag again. Adam Frazier to San Diego. Clay Holmes dealt to the Yankees earlier on Monday. With that, Sam, to the NFL, man, as uh, training camps are ready to open up very, very shortly. And right now, Sam, uh, with Deshaun Watson coming to camp, though, the Texans have now said they are now not willing or willing to trade away their quarterback despite, again, the offseason issues, again, with lawsuits going on. Uh, Sam, we're basically, I would say, man, under the illusion that right now that we will probably not see Watson suit up and put on the helmet this year in the jersey for the Texans. But Sam, though, from a front office perspective, though, man, what do you think is going to the mind right now of, of the upper brass right now up in uh, with Houston about this whole Deshaun Watson's, uh, you know, uh, saga right now, kind of clouding the team right now and clouding Watson's potential future? Well, uh, I think they're finally maturing and letting him look at different options. Uh, but, you know, it, it, they're at, their price tag on Watson right now is lucrative. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but they're asking for five top-round picks, first and second-round picks, and they're asking for a starting player, which they'll probably get because of Watson's uh, salary hit. But right now, I don't know who's giving up all that, uh, you know, and going to risk Watson being found guilty of his uh, case that he is a lawsuit that he's in the middle of right now. So with the lawsuit hanging like how it is right now, I don't see that trade, you know, coming into works. And I know the Houston's preparing as Tyrod Taylor as the starting quarterback this year, but I, you know, I don't know how, what's going to happen with that because if what's his face isn't traded and he's just sitting on the bench, I, I don't know, you know, where do you go from there? It, it's just kind of an awkward situation for everyone because Watson doesn't want to be there. Uh, the Houston Texans, throughout most of the pre post uh, offseason, has made, tried to make his life as miserable as they possibly could. And now, you know, they're at least 
looking to trade him now, but there's uh, they're not really giving a reasonable price tag because of the lawsuits that are hanging over him. I think if the lawsuits were hanging over him, this could be a reasonable uh, price tag. It could be, but that's a lot of draft picks uh, for one player and a, a big risk. It would be like a Ricky Williams uh, to Chicago Bears type trade, which I don't think any team will want to do that again, or a Herschel Walker type trade. Yeah, Sam, you know, I, I said on Sunday on the night shift that, you know, I don't believe that we will see Trevor Bauer pitch again in baseball this year. And I also don't think that we'll see D Deshaun Watson take a snap, though, at all for Houston, because both these guys, sadly, you know, have these off-field issues, though, that really, you know, I I've heard some rumblings, you know, from uh, from uh, from media folks in, in L.A. who basically say that the Dodger teammates don't want Bauer back on the roster because of what he's, you know, what he's been alleged of doing, though. And certainly, I wonder, if I, you know, and Sam, I wonder, I wonder, though, Sam, the same thing about, same thing about Watson, you know, are there guys in that locker room who don't want him around the team because of what perhaps is going on? I mean, Sam, you know, what do you think about that, though? Maybe that perhaps that, yeah, it's one thing that they have, that both these guys have stuff going on off the field, though, but that teammates don't want them around maybe as well. What do you think about that? Well, I, I believe it with the uh, Dodgers situation, Trevor Bauer situation. With the Deshaun Watson situation, um, frankly, I think a lot of it's sketchy. Uh, I'm not saying a lot of people are liars, but, you know, the thing is about this whole lawsuit, and it's really disgusting to me, is that this law, the lawyer that's handling this lawsuit is the Texans owner's neighbor. So he's literally the neighbor of the Texans owner. And the, some of the girls that are supposedly in this lawsuit have texted – Watson in past months and ha and Watson still has these text messages and the lawyers waiting there for more of these people to come out and say who they are instead of the, all this, uh, you know, all this, you know, se uh, secret and discreet stuff. He's waiting for more people to come out because these women have threatened to blackmail him in the past. So, you know, a lot of this stuff, the only reason why it's out still is because Watson and his lawyer do not want to handle this in a non-discreet way. And the reason why he's not on the commissioner's list is because the NFL league investigation has found nothing against him so far, which is two very, you know, very, uh, not, it's very sketchy thing. Those are two very sketchy things that this guy has not been found of anything, no hard proof. And the fact that he's not, you know, trying to take the easy way out as some players do try to take uh full, you know, keep hush hush money that some players have tried to do that and he's not taking those two routes so i don't think you know in the watson's case that he's going to get shunned in the locker room like trevor bauer has or in the future possibly could have but i don't know how this lawsuit's even going to shake out because of this how type the type of sketchiness that is behind this lawsuit and these uh in this case yeah, again a lot of uncertainty but again folks deshaun watson uh, once again, reporting to camp on Sunday, and per the reports today, the Texans are not willing to trade their quarterback. Now, despite the offseason baggage that, of course, has been uh, talked about uh, over the course of the past, uh, more so during the course of the last week or so. Uh, Angel, to clarify his comments about the Giants being the 90, about the uh, Giants being the 96 pod race, he says, I'm saying it because no one expected the Giants to be here in the race, just like San Diego in 96. Okay, that's a very fair point. James also says, I am very interested in seeing what the Texans could even get for Deshaun Watson. And Sam, you know, it was very interesting, though, man, because I think at the start of the offseason, there were a lot of teams putting, to putting together package deals for Watson. 
I think, either right as or literally right before that the entire allegations came out. Yeah, because Watson is like one of the best quarterbacks in the league, uh, and he wanted out of there. But Houston was reluctant at trading him at first. Um, and now, you know, now that they're open on trading him, it, it's like they, they could have been open in trading him and get this big haul, then, you know, being reluctant now to trade him and getting there's no interest for him because it's just like the lawsuits is a huge case because if, if he's found guilty, this could ruin his whole career. He's basically out of the NFL and ruined his whole life. So, you know, there's a that's a big looming uh, situation in front of us right now. Angel also says, well, not surprise me, uh, fellas, if Watson set out the season, don't see him staying in Houston. James about Trevor Bauer says that is a that is a very alarming remark. If Bauer's teammates don't want him around, uh, don't want him around the clubhouse. Bauer did call out the team after losing some games that didn't help as well. Angel agrees, though, with James. Don't blame the Dodgers. Guilty or not, Bauer has become a, di a distraction, which is the last thing that the team needs right now. And James also says, I was on that Watson to Miami trade train, but uh, never mind. But again, folks, Deshaun Watson, per reports, and the Texans actually now saying they are uh, now no longer willing to deal away their quarterback despite offseason issues. From one saga, Sam in Houston, to one more saga in Green Bay. Reports from Ian Rappaport today, uh, Sam, have said, though, that Aaron Rodgers will be back this year to Green Bay, and apparently the Packers are putting together a contract for Mr. Rodgers to come back and play. I would guess probably one more season, maybe. Again, we don't have the full scope of it, though, and also broken, too, by Adam Schefter. And certainly, Sam, this is probably the other one, though, that people are going to be watching very closely because now it just seems like, though, that Rodgers left the chat and then came back because of, of the contract, but also that... I wonder, though, how much, though, or, or or more so, Sam, I wonder, though, how much damage has been done by both parties involved here, both Rodgers and by the Packers organization, and does this add more friction or add a bigger rift or add a bigger abyss between both parties for the season? I'm not sure, but Sam, overall stance, though, or thoughts, as again, it's been reported by both Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport that Aaron Rodgers will, in fact, be back on the field and, again, playing for Green Bay this season. So... Uh, with the Watson's case, even if he does come back and for some way, somehow, he's found innocent and he's playing as a Houston Texan next year, I don't think there's much animosity between him and the Tux Texans locker room. Not at all. I agree. He, there's like there, no, nothing was like created friction wise through those players. And, you know, it, he would the reason why he doesn't want to be there is because he's not being protected. His, they basically traded away his O line this past year, they, they didn't care about him his well-being, I guess, and that they got rid of D-Hop, which he should have knew uh, since he signed the big contract after they got rid of Hopkins, and that they're not competitive. They're not winning anymore. So you have three things right there that are major factors that they've completely ignored. And they also disregarded his uh, in input after they promised to uh, highly value his input uh, when it came to the GM and the head coaching search. So that franchise, the owner of that franchise has made himself into a joke this past offseason. As far as the Green Bay Packers situation, uh, there's going to be a lot of animosity between the players, I feel like, and Aaron Rodgers for the fact that Aaron Rodgers basically quit on the team. Uh, he didn't just quit on the franchise. He quit on the team. Uh, he didn't like, I guess he didn't like Jordan Love being there, reports are saying. I don't know how true that is because uh, they, you know, media switches a lot of stuff around. But he doesn't like the situation that he's in where he's mentoring his next star. 
and he doesn't. It just seems like that he doesn't want to be there. And whenever you don't want to be there, it, it, it rubs off on players. Watson wants to win and wants to play, but he just doesn't want to do it for Houston. It doesn't seem like Aaron Rodgers wants to even. But he doesn't want to play at all. I mean, there's been times where it feels like he doesn't want to play. Uh, he and he threatened to retire multiple twice this off season. So I mean, I, I, in my opinion, it rubs off a different way when you start to threaten retirement and you threaten to just leave the team. It rubs off a different way, and then you're saying cheap shots at the play at the um, at the management, upper management uh, of the Green Bay Packers at the CEO, and they are also t- taking shots fired back. So it's like you know a whole war between Rodgers and the uh, Packers, and the Packers are a organization that is one of the few organizations that are ran by the uh, front office and not by the players. Uh, I don't care how good a player is, really. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, for example, plays for that team, and they really don't bend backwards for him. They're one of the few franchises that still don't do that. So, you know, it's kind of an expectation more there and a culture more there than it is at Houston. So I don't, you know, I chemistry-wise, I think that's taking a big hit uh, in that scenario than it is in the Houston scenario. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, you know, we talked about this, Sam, so much, I think, during the course of the offseason last year, uh, around the draft last year, even this year, uh, because of Rodgers' future being clouded. But I, you know, but I still think back, though, to how Brett Favre left and retired and then, you know, came back and went to the Jets. He retired again, went back to the Vikings and stuff like that, but also about the about how he was treated, though, by the uh, the Packer front office. But it certainly... I think, Sam, that it's only worse with Rodgers because I think that I remember a stat that I brought up, though, on, on the network here that in, in Rodgers' whole career, I believe they, they've, they've only drafted one offensive weapon for him in the entire time he's been with Green Bay, though, and certainly that this rift, I think, though, Sam, is only going to get worse as this year goes on, though, and certainly it's probably going to be a circus that no one wants to be a part of in Green Bay next season. Yeah, uh, I also remember whenever uh, what's-his-face was got there, when Aaron Rodgers first got there, that defense, um, it, it was the anchor of the team, but it was an aging defense. And throughout Aaron Rodgers' tenure, uh, that defense has been the weakness, and they've been trying to address that weakness. Meanwhile, they're trying to address that weakness. They're not really giving Rodgers uh, a lot of weapons to work with. You know, he ha- the offensive line has not been has not been uh, that great, uh, if anything, has stagnated the past couple years. I remember when he first got to Green Bay, they had one of the best offensive lines. Uh, I forget who was running the football for them, but he was a pretty good runner. Uh, I, I can't think of his name now. I don't know why. And then they had one of the better defenses and the pass rushes with Clay Matthews. Uh, they had that was a Charles Woodson led team, and that team ever since then has not have been the same defensively. They just recently got back to defensive relevance uh, the past two years, and offensively they haven't been building around him. They've given him. Maybe a wide receiver, maybe a second. They had Jordy Nelson and Devontae Adams was still developing. They couldn't give him a third wide receiver. They had uh, Devontae Adams and really, I think, Ty Montgomery as the second best receiver at one point. So, you know, it really, uh, they have not done a good job at building around Aaron Rodgers and his tenure there. And then that last year, they bring in his backup, his successor almost, uh, to play on the team instead of. Ways to draft pick on Justin Jefferson to better the passing game and help out Aaron Rodgers right now. 
so I, I see why he's, you know, feel shady right there. Uh, but like you said, you know, they, they really didn't help build around Aaron Rodgers while he was there and during his tenure. So again, folks, Aaron Rodgers, per reports gathered from both Ian Rappaport and also via Adam Schefter, all signs point, point towards Rodgers back to Green Bay for 2022. But again, who knows what actually might happen here. Also, Angel Berrigan Jr. says, just days after the Super Bowl, Every team that needed a quarterback was already making their package deal for Watson. Now no one will uh, will touch him, sadly. James also says, all that offseason mess for nothing with this Rodgers versus Packers. Guess we uh, guess what? We'll have to go through this stuff again next offseason. Angel also says, July 26, 2022, Rodgers will either play for another team or will be officially retired. James agrees with a very good sentiment here. I think this is the last dance, quote-unquote, for both Rodgers and Devontae Adams, who both, by the way, shared a the same IG story of Michael Jordan fist-bumping Scottie Pippen during the 90s with the Bulls. So certainly that is going to be a tagline, I'm sure, for the season. And James further adds on, he says that Rodgers learned from Favre how to act towards the Packers organization. True point, case closed right there. Christy Wilson also says the Packers should just stop the madness and deal Rodgers to Denver. Parentheses, hi, shout out John Alcorn. Further, James says it was James Starks, who was one of the uh, those good running backs back then for Green Bay. And Christie also says that the Packers are a classless organization. I think, Sam, it's a, I think, though it's hard to kind of say that, though, but this is exactly, I think, Sam, how they dealt with Favre. And now we're seeing it again with Rodgers 2.0 here, essentially. Uh, this is an organization that just doesn't, uh, not on the same wave as some of the other organizations. I wouldn't say they're classless. This is a very uh, football-oriented uh, organization. Very stingy. Very stingy yeah, about operations. Yeah, so I wouldn't say they're classless. It's just an old-school type of way. This is still – I mean, they're not even owned by a certain person. No one they're owned by them. the fans. Yeah, they're owned by the city of uh, Green Bay. So, I mean, this is a, it's a weird team, and, you know, it's an old-school organization, really. So again, folks, Aaron Rodgers, again, all signs pointing to AR-12 back to the uh, Packers per both uh, reliable sources. Again, Ian Rappaport, Adam Schefter on the case. With that, Sam, into some Olympic coverage, man. We've been enjoying the games so far, obviously watching a lot of the events as often as I can. Certainly, Sam, want to get your thoughts, though. Again, Team USA men dropped their first game to France on Sunday night, Monday morning, 83-76. And again, Sam, uh... I, for one, said I was not going to lose my mind after they lost their first game, though. But, though, Sam, this is now their third loss in four games. No chemistry. Players now ticked off at Greg Popovich for the San Antonio offense. It's been run, though. And also, I'm more upset, though, about how they did not drive the basket, and they kept selling for threes here down by two. But he had to just get a two to tie the game, and they kept trying to go for three in the lead. And also, I think, though, as well, though, Sam, more so it's guys, in my opinion, playing for themselves not playing for the name on the front of the jersey. But Sam, your thoughts about Team USA men's basketball and kind of right now the turmoil and disarray of this club is right now in after their first loss in 17 years in the Olympics. Yeah, you know, this is the first loss that counts uh, this year. And they've left off, they're picking up right where they left off in the FIBA uh, tournament a couple years ago where they lost. I'm pretty sure they lost to France in the quarterfinal. That's how they left off. So, you know, uh, this is a team, this, Team USA is a it's a team where talent is never the issue it's always chemistry 
with Team USA. Every damn year. Every year that they lose, it's always chemistry. I mean, these guys have the best talent in the world. And the fact that they are not winning, this team honestly should be unbeaten and it shouldn't be debatable. Uh, especially if the best U.S. players uh, decided to play for America. I mean, if you had LeBron and Seth Curry on this team, there's no way that they're losing. But even uh, aside the fact, you still have Devin Booker, you still have Chris Middleton, you still have Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard. I mean, you can go down the list. I mean, they're all all NBA players or all-stars. So, you know, you have a team of 12, all 13 all-stars against teams that, you know, will be lucky to field a full NBA team. Uh, other countries that are like that. So the fact that they're losing, I mean, it, it blows my mind every time that they do lose. But, you know, that it shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't be a problem, especially when you have so much talent. You can other years that they're able to play off each other. Like we've seen uh, Kevin Durant in past years play off, you know, DeAndre Jordan or other players' strengths. Carmelo Anthony is probably one of the greatest Olympic players ever because the way he's able to do his own thing and it sets up other players to do their own thing. Um, but, you know, to, for it to be isolation basketball, it reminds me of a lot of the Allen Iverson, Tim Duncan team uh, back in 2003, where they were 2002, where they lost or 2004. I'm sorry, where they lost uh bronze medal to Argentina and Manu Ginobili. So, you know, I, I don't know why they can't adjust to it personally. I mean, this seems like a very easy tactic, and they're arguing with the head coaches now, uh, Greg Popovich, uh, about a San Antonio Spurs game plan. But even though it's a San Antonio Spurs game plan, this, these are still some of the best players in America. This They should easily be able to execute this plan uh, and get it get the job done. And that's all that matters, not about, you know, the type of game plan it is, even if they had a no game plan, I feel like they should be able to knock out these countries and handle them pretty easily uh, with no game plan than it is with one. Sam, you know, I thought Evan Fournier, you know, jumped off the top rope and body slammed Team USA after the game was over in his post-game media availability. And he had a very valid point, though. You know, all the guys that Team USA has, uh, you know, are great individually. But to your point, though, Sam, if there's no chemistry, that team is not any good, though. And again, I'm more so just, you know, watching the watching the dying minute of the game, though, you're down by a by two. But yet you have four players try to hit a three and be the hero. I'm like, this is not team basketball, man. So I think I totally agree, though, with your uh, sentiments, though, about how, in fact, you know, right now, it's just more so a lot of guys who are, you know, playing for themselves. You know, Herb Brooks had the great line, though, in 1980. You know, the name on the front is a hell of a lot more important than the one on the back and get that through your head. Plenty of thoughts, though, about this, Sam. Uh, at this point in time, Angel First says Team USA is just playing for themselves and not for the country. Christy Wilson says the USA men's team is not really a team per se, more, more so a bunch of individuals. James also says Team quote-unquote USA is going the 0-4 route, and I'm personally glad to see it. Angel jumps up a top rope and says at this point, the CBA San Diego Wild Cards could beat up Team USA. Angel going the route of the old Continental Basketball Association and the Wild Cards who lasted one season could beat up Team USA. Absolutely incredible right there. And also James says it looks like, or he says that Luca Doncic, we'll get to him in a moment. He looked great last night versus Argentina. And Angel also says, what? No one is talking about what no one is talking about is every nation has at least one or two established NBA players. This is not 
1992 anymore. And certainly, Sam, that was the thing that I talked about with Isaiah on Sunday. The world is catching up to Team USA in basketball, whether we like it or not. Yeah, uh, the international circuit's a lot better than it used to be. You look at the top 20 players, about half of them are not American anymore. Back in the 90s, you may have had two or three players, uh, including Akeem, who played for Team USA, uh, that were from the from overseas. So it was very rare to see that back in the 90s and 92, and that, that helped them. I mean, obviously, the 92 team was really dominant, but one thing that helped them was that the best international player was Tony Kukoc, who was not a top 20 uh, NBA player at the time. And then Christy says, ah, forget it, fellas. The USA women's team could probably beat Team USA men right now uh, with how they have played. I mean, again, losing three of their last four games, it is perhaps possible. And Christy wants to pass along a quick update, just hearing that Reagan Smith of Team USA has won the bronze in the 100-meter backstroke swim event today. She did, in fact, win gold on Monday or on Sunday, I should say, in a very great performance for her and um, looking very sharp out there as well. Also, Sam, just kind of want to run through one run through a couple of other events that have caught my eye, though. Uh, Team USA men in gymnastics finished in fifth place today in their finals. Both uh, Katie Ledecky and Kate uh, Douglas won heats today in the 200-meter freestyle, 200-meter 200 mel uh, melody, and the 1,500-meter freestyle. And then, of course, though, as well, uh, Sam, again, Luka Doncic, so the Mavericks dropped 48 last night as Slovenia knocked off Argentina in a very great game, 118-110. But also, Sam, catching our, both of our eyes, the USA 3-on-3 three -three women's basketball team, man, is 5-0 after winning again on Monday, winning both their games, including Kelsey Plum, San Diego native, I might want to add, though, and also from the Las Vegas Aces, with the game-winning basket for Team USA as they knocked off their opponent today in the second game. And certainly, Sam... You know, three-on-three, three, man, may be probably the best sport that was added this year because of the pace of play, the small rosters, the half-court game, and that you really have to – you really can't, you know, take your eyes off the game, though, because if, if you do, you may miss a very long scoring run. And so far, man, Stephanie Dolson, Alicia Gray, Jackie Young, and and Kelsey Plum, man, they've been nothing short of spectacular through their first five games, Sams, and it's been so fun to watch them play on the floor right now for three-on-three. Yeah, outside of five on five, three on three is my favorite form of basketball to watch. Uh, speculate. I'm a bit. I, I don't know, Callum. Do you watch the Big Three League? I do know? actually. I enjoy it. Yeah, those man, three on three is really fun to watch, spectate, and play. Uh, outside of five on five, it's probably my favorite personally uh, format of basketball. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ice Cube being revolutionary in that sense, though. Uh, some more thoughts, real quick. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Angel first says, I like it. 92 and 96 was unique, but now it's like women's college basketball now where UConn would win the tournament year after year after year. Starting with Team USA men uh, owning the Olympic stage so far. And also Christy says, go Team USA ladies again. Alicia Gray, Jackie Young, Stephanie Dolson, Kelsey Plum, 5-0 and oh on their 3-3 three and three journey. And Angel says, it's still weird though, guys, not seeing crowds this year especially in both basketball and, and volleyball. But so far, to uh, 2020 Tokyo is being good. You know, Sam, despite the COVID issues, despite the weather being bad, Tokyo, I think, is doing as good of a job as they can right now with all the hurdles that they have faced over the past year, again, with COVID, but also with the weather being a bit out of control as well for certain events. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it, it's really weird. I, I really didn't know what to expect for even for these Olympics because we've never had a pandemic this bad and Olympics very next year. It was actually supposed to be last year. But, right. You know, right. they had to delay 
and the, seeing the, the Olympics like this, we don't even know how. I don't even know how to like t- evaluate the Olympics really because of uh, how everything is going to be different uh, and change this year. And it's an, an international uh, event, so it's not just you know one country doing it or a local thing where they can control if, if the virus gets in, but they can't because you're getting all everywhere from the world coming in. So, you know, it's really weird. It's crazy how they're handling it, but they seem like they're doing a pretty good job uh, from afar right now. Sam, you know, Isaiah and I were talking on the night shift on Sunday, and though Isaiah is not really watching the games, though, but me and Trevor are keeping tabs on it, though, so we can talk about it on the programs, is that, you know, the thing that I love about the Olympics so much, though, Sam, is, you know, the stories of, like, you know, the first person to win a gold medal you know, or for, or to medal in general again, we had team USA yesterday win their, win their first uh, medals, I believe ever in uh, fencing and in Taekwondo. Then we had two 13 year olds win medals in skateboarding on the women's side late on Sunday night. Then we had obviously uh, uh, Ledecky losing to her rival from, uh, from Australia uh, in the uh, 400 meter, uh, 400 meter on Sunday. We had team USA men once again, dominate the four by 100 meter and swimming again on Sunday as well. And again, all these stories. And also, I think though, Sam, today we had a story, I think, of the Philippines winning their first medal, I think, in 97 years. And I think, Sam, that truly is like the best part of the Olympic Games, man, is hearing like these, you know, either countries winning for the first time in a long time, uh, you know, kids, you know, that are 12 or 13 or 15 competing on the global stage, man. And certainly, I think, Sam, th- those are the stories that I love personally the most about the Olympics is hearing stuff like that, though, about countries winning for the first time, like ever first time in a long time, or, you know, kids who aren't even 18 competing on this big stage, though, and, and not feeling nervous about the pressure. Yeah, uh, uh, and sports in general. I love to hear in that underdog story. Uh, like you said, the Philippines winning their first medal in 90-something years. That's crazy, man, because it's how small of a country, and that brings a lot of attention to that sport uh, in that country. Uh, it, you know, it's always, and it's good for the, I feel like, you know, if a country has a crazy run, uh, at the gold, it brings a lot of country, a lot, it brings a lot of attention at athletics into that country, and it's good for them. You know, it, the recognition is good, and you know, it paves way for you know, not just that, but future marketing. You know, because if it play, it, we've seen with Michael Phelps, Michael Phelps had two crazy Olympic games, and he's basically paid for life. Uh, and he's a household name and. Uh, swimming and now i don't i don't think i know any swimmers off the top of my head like i do with michael phelps i don't know if you do uh callan but you know he's now a household name and the dude's life's been changed if something like that was happening with another country that'd be great for him and it'd bring a lot of recognition uh even to those countries and i think though sam the beauty of the olympics though too is that we sit on the couch and watch of you know watch sporting events that we would probably never you know never watch like table tennis or surfing uh, skateboarding, you know, even three on three hoops or sailing or, you know, the triathlon. And, you know, it's always, you know, it's great hearing those stories. And certainly, I mean, just to name a couple of other swimmers, though, obviously, other than Phelps and Ledecky, Mark Spitz, you know, the original goat of, of uh, USA swimming before Phelps came along and took his record away with all those gold medals he won, though, in 08 and, of course, in 12 and 14 or 12 and 16, I should say. And also, Angel says, just throwing it out there, fellas, but in 2028 in Los Angeles, let's have a live version of NBA Jam. Rather than three on three, he's on fire. Let's definitely do that. 
How about those, Sam? I did want to get to this story, though, that I caught my eye earlier on Monday morning via Yahoo Sports. Uh, in regards to the, the headline here reads this from Dan Wetzel, a columnist for Yahoo Sports. Russia, in quotes, Russia continues to make mockery of Olympic ban. Just want to read a bit of this story, folks. But uh, the nitty gritty here is that Russia did not win the men's gymnastics event on Monday. Nope, it wasn't them. Or something like that. Now, folks, as a reminder here, the IOC has officially banned Russia from being at the games due to blatant doping scandals that date back to as early as 2014. The IOC generally has the moral compass of a KGB hitman, but even it could not ignore this. To recap, in Sochi, the Russians constructed a building adjacent to the drug testing lab, then cut a hole in the wall. Each night after the lab closed, workers would pass dirty athlete samples out and clean samples in. Two things happened. Russia won the most medals, not a single Russian tested positive. When they got done do uh, doping the Olympics, they then did the same thing at the Paralympics as well, which seems uh, uh, particularly pathetic. Russia won the most medals there too, of course, more than three times the next best country. Then the World Anti-Doping Agency eventually cracked the case, causing the man who orchestrated the entire scheme, Dr. Uh, Grigory, or, uh, uh, Gregory uh, Rodchek, uh, Rod uh, Chenkov, to flee the, to the U.S., where he entered, uh, entered witness protection, not before being featured in the documentary series called uh, Incaris. This was wise. Two of his cohorts, though, turned up dead, in, uh, dead back in Russia, but that was just probably a coincidence. Anyway, this was so... Um, this was such a uphill battle that even the IOC decided it had to punish the Russians. So it did, sort of. Russia technically is not here, though, but 330 different athletes from Russia are. If any athlete hasn't tested positive uh, for, for PEDs yet, and they're allowed to come at this time. They're right now technically under the flag of the Russian Olympic Committee, which, which the IOC apparently thinks will confuse everyone. Couldn't they, or uh, couldn't they have at least gotten creative and dubbed them the Sochi Hole in the Wall Club, or Vlad's Not Here, or Mike Ruzioni Says Hello, or something else. Doesn't cheating the world's uh, visually impaired skiers and wheelchair curlers out of fair competition uh, merit some trolling? So, Sam, you know, I think, though, that even though that we're both, you know, young and unafraid and obviously, you know, in our primes right now, but I don't think, though, Sam, that, or I think that we're both aware, though, that we know, though, that Russia has been accused of this, though, for so damn long, though, in regards to, you know, trying to cheat the system, maybe lie about ages, uh, you know, doping, steroid use, PEDs. Uh, I think I think more so that it was the 72 or 76 games, though, where Team USA lost the goal to the Soviets. And they eventually, like, they chose to protest the game and stuff like that. Uh, and that there's been a lot of stuff that's come out, though, about Russian athletes. And I don't want to you know, pin us all on the, on the athletes themselves, though, but certainly though, Sam, you know, that this, I think this has been going on, man, for so long though. And so Sam, I just wonder though, why though are we even, you know, why though does the IOC even still allow these athletes to compete though, if they have been banned or they have sanctioned the Russian committee for the Olympic games? So Sam, I mean, I don't know, man, your thoughts on this though, but certainly I do think though, it's a very, I think, fair point though, brought up though, that if Russia is, you know, competing but it's not actually russia competing again they're competing under a quote-unquote neutral flag why are they still even being invited to the games is is my big question here well either they want to act like they care or you know they don't care uh and i think they want to act like they care for the fairness of the sport but they really don't care i don't think the ioc really cares because if they really did care 
it's not a, like you said, a, a athletes thing, but it's a cult. Whenever it happens and it's been happening for years and speculated for years, it's a cultural thing. It's something that, you know, it's something that it's not one pl- person doing it. It's a whole team doing it and a whole, you know, crew team you know, crew doing it. However way you want to spill it. But uh, something should have happened that was more serious than a slap on the wrist and change your flag to a neutral flag. Because that is uh, blasphemy. You should, in my opinion, should have banned them for at least 20 years. I mean, at the minimum, I mean, that's, f- what, four or five, five Olympic Games uh, or rounds of Olympic Games. Because that's something that it cheating, it, it damages the uh, rep- uh, the reputation of the sport and it damages the reputation of the Olympics. So to continue to allow it to happen and kind of just give it a slap on the wrist and sweep it under the covers, uh, you know, it just shows how the lack of care that they have. I don't know, Sam. You know, I, I feel like, though, that there needs to be something done, though I doubt it will happen. But I do think, though, that everyone, I think, probably knew, though, that if you're going to have the games in Russia, as was the case with the Winter Games in 14, I think we all knew pretty damn well that they were going to try their best to cheat the system. And we heard it here in the article, again, folks, from Dan Wetzel, who was reporting from Tokyo uh, for the Olympic Games uh, from uh, from Tokyo, who, again, put in a story that back in 2014, the Russians did build a building adjacent to the drug testing lab. Then they cut a hole in the wall each night. And after the lab had closed down, they would pass dirty athlete samples out and put in clean samples in. And I think, Sam, that I think to kind of grasp the nature of like how serious though that maybe that Russian athletes have in fact been accused of steroid use. I think Sam, I would only have to think back to Rocky four when uh, Sylvester Stallone chose to make it, you know, cold war inspired with team, we know with the USA versus the Soviets. And we literally saw Dolph Lundgren, Ivan Drago be injected with steroids and PEDs before their fight in Moscow in the movie. Again, I know it's all Hollywood and scripted though, but I think Sam, to slice point, though, I think that's probably how people who have seen, you know, the Olympics or have seen the Soviets and then the Russians partake in the Olympics is like, that's what they do every year. And some and very they try to beat the system every single year. Would you agree? Uh, I don't know if I'd say that, but I would say that, you know, it does seem a little sketchy. I, there's not enough proof for me. I have 24 Agreed. teams. That Agreed. Bad, but I'm not going to sit here and say that they have tried to beat the uh, system every single year. Uh, plenty of thoughts, though, about this. He says, uh, Angel says, imagine, guys, if baseball actually did something for the Astros for cheating, forcing them to call themselves baseball players from Houston. Again, much like what is right now the case, though, with the Olympic athletes from Russia. They're competing under the Russian Athletic or the Russia Athlete Committee or a Russia Olympic Committee flag, I should say. Uh, and also, Angel says that Russia better be, uh, be- uh, better be, uh, or better take the ban serious because the IOC could extend they're not careful. I mean, Sam, even if they were to add more sanctions, Russia, I think, is still going to be invited, though. But I think, though, to, to Dan Wetzel's point, though, is Russia's here, though. But then again, they're not here. So, again, I don't know what really that what else the IOC could honestly do at this rate. Well, um, I don't understand why the IOC is uh, trying to what they're trying to save her. Uh, you know, being a part of the Olympics is not a something that, you know, that should be granted to every country. It's something that should be earned almost to countries. And if you're cheating, I don't understand, you know, even if you change the name, even if they change the Astros name, I feel like that's more, um, 
you know, that's hard. It's more, you know, effective than it is changing Russia's name because Russia's still competing in the Olympics. Uh, those players are still playing, or still Tokyo right now. Uh, whether they're competing for the same flag or not, they're still in the Olympics. They're still getting that national recognition, and they're still getting those storylines. Uh, but if you take the pool completely out of the Olympics, they're not getting that storyline anymore. They're not getting that recognition anymore. It's more serious. Uh, you know, baseball Astros, they're still going to be a major league team at the end of the day, even if you do something about it. Changing their name, I agree, would do would uh, do more effect than it did with doing nothing. I mean, I feel like baseball really just handed out a couple of suspensions and they and said, that's it. We're, that's all we're done with it. But, you know, with the IOC basically just changing their name and saying that they're banned, but not really banning them. Uh, that does nothing, in my opinion. Angel also says, if I'm the IOC, I would have banned Russia completely. But since Russia is a powerhouse, they went on them easy. Again, I mean, if this is any other country, I hate to say it, I think it's any other country, uh, there'd be some harsher punishment dished out. But again, uh, good stuff from Dan Wetzel, uh, who's covering the Olympics over in Tokyo for Yahoo Sports with that story here today, again, of a about Russia and uh, again, them still even competing despite, as we've already said, though, or seen though, uh, with them uh, competing under a quote unquote neutral flag over in Tokyo. With that, folks, we'll wrap up for the night on this Monday and dive into our final thoughts. The cows are coming home, folks, on this Monday night. As a reminder, folks out there watching, again, we have a action packed Thursday coming up here. On the MI6 Sports Network, again, folks, coming your way with two programs starting off at 5 o'clock in the evening or around 5.15 Pacific time with the 2021 NBA Draft Extravaganza, followed by the one-year anniversary of the first-ever Wild Sports Talk episode that debuted right here on the, on uh, on MI6, uh, literally a year to the day. Uh, but again, keep that, folks, uh, keep that in mind again, folks, as mentioned, NBA Draft Special, followed up, though, by the Wild Sports Talk one-year special as well right here on the MI6 Sports Network. Uh, one more quick uh, clarification from Angel, or comment, I should say. He says, guys, one prime example is the what the NFL did to the Saints for Bounty Gate. They gave the guilty party one year, and the Saints learned their lesson. In regards to, again, what we have seen, though, uh, with that, in regards to Russia, again, partaking in the Olympics. But Sam, already though, my good man, final thoughts for the night's program are what? Uh, I just want to thank all the people that came out, you know, commented and shared, you know, and uh, they help build the stream up. And another thing is, you know, my final thoughts are with the Cavaliers in three days, got a big decision to make, uh, whether to replace Colin Sexton or add Evan Mobley. And I hope they can make the right decision, you know, get that Jalen Green kid uh, from the G League. But uh, it's the Cavaliers. So, you know, I, I can only hope that they make the right decision, in my opinion. Yeah, again, folks, to see all the raw live reaction of the NBA draft again on Thursday. We're starting up shop at 5.15. We'll be joined by members of both MI6 and also our friends over at Coast to Coast Entertainment to uh, react live on air with you folks here, as we did last year for the NBA draft special here. Again, that was a great night last year. And again, we'll uh, also have the uh, network, or at least the uh, WST, one-year special coming, way, uh, coming your way, as you've already said, though, folks, following the program that night back here inside of the MI6 Sports Network. A couple of more quick thoughts of the final buzzer. Both Angel and Christy both saying great show. We'll see you again, folks. We'll come back here with you tomorrow night. 
from a sports lounge, talking more Olympics and also talking more local and national sports stories here with myself included at 8.30 Pacific time back here on the 6th. And then as well, again, Sammy is back on Wednesday with Ryan Schreiner on Fan Response. And again, the double uh, the double header of action again, folks, on Thursday with both uh, the uh, draft special plus with the uh, uh, WST one-year special as well. But again, folks, for Sammy Sharp, the entire cast and crew of the uh, of the MI6 Sports Network, this is yours truly, Cal McClurg, saying goodnight from San Diego, folks. We wish you a pleasant rest of your Monday. Take care, folks, and we'll see you back here on Tuesday night from the Sports Lounge back here at 8.30 Pacific time inside of the MI6 Sports Network, folks. Take care and good night. Bye-bye. Pop, no stress,